We are in, I'm speaking, this is the third Sunday of a three-part series on living intentionally. And my, my belief is that because we've been given the Word of God and we've received the Holy Spirit, we have a path to walk on. And the scripture says in Proverbs 3, one of my favorite verses, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So, so we have a path. And as we walk in the way of the Lord, it shines brighter and brighter. I believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that. And Jesus says, if you hold my words, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, Jesus says, I'm the gate to the sheep. By me, you go in and you go out and you find pasture. So there's just, the Bible's full of promises. So we walk in intentionality as we walk under the scripture and the lordship of Jesus. And we order our steps compared to very gifted people who are, many of them, intelligent and and well-meaning. But they kind of live haphazardly because they have no real fixed path or no real foundation to walk on. So, so, the, 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 so we want to live with intentionality. And I've said as we took the 30,000-foot view of Ephesians 4 and 5, that, that to, to live with intentionality involves chapter 4, verse 23, Paul says, but, but you must have a renewed mind, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's present tense, ongoing. And you do that, verse 20, as you learn of Jesus or you learn Jesus. And as you learn of Jesus with a renewed mind, there were some character traits that, that came forth in that passage. One was you speak the truth in love. You, you, instead of being minimalist, you, you, you get involved in people's lives and you speak the truth. Number two, he says, if you are to be angry, don't let anger win the day. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry because you give the devil an opportunity. So the second character trait is you don't let anger or any other attitude like that rule in your life. Jesus rules. You, don't, you keep a short account. Don't let the sun go down. The third thing is, he says, if you've been a thief, if you've been involved in Ponzi schemes, if you've been short-charging or overcharging people as a, as a merchant, don't do that anymore. In fact, now that you're a responsible steward of God, you're to work hard so that you can share with people who are in need. Instead of being a consumer, you're a steward. And then fourthly, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk, which means talk that smells like rotten fish, come out of your mouth. Instead, speak words that build people up. So that's step one. Step two was last week. Where he talked about the judgment that was to come and the fact that you used to be darkness, but now you, you walk as light in, in the Lord. And, and he says in verse 15, he says, Therefore, be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most or the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And, and really, it talks about the fact that that. that that there is an evil in our day, and our hearts will flow to that unless we're disciplined and looking to the cross. And not only that, but, but there are seasons of life. Really, the word here, is, the word here for time is, 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 is kairos, which means a, 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 a segment of time. And some of you are students, and you're to, to be good students to the glory of God. Some of you are in graduate school, same thing. Some of you are young parents, and it's, it's a 
hard time, just lack of sleep and going hard. And, and that's a season of your life. Some of us are empty nesters and you still are healthy and you got to, so we're not just to sit around and OD on, on, on Netflix and stuff like that. We're to seize the time and live to the glory of God. And so today I want to talk to you about the radical importance of community. And I'm going to use this passage and then jump to Matthew 9, but here's the, the scripture. Matthew 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk on wine, for, for this is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, to the Lord with all of your heart, giving thanks to uh, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so, Paul says here, he says, you know, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's present tense. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, instead of being controlled by wine or some other substance, you be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And as you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you'll become a worshiper. You'll address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord with all of your heart. So, so Spirit-filled worship, and then you'll be thankful. Always giving thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so let me stop here and say that sometimes you'll meet people who say, you know, I'm just kind of, my, my, my alter ego is Eeyore, you know, or Oscar the Grouch. And my glass is just halfway empty all the time. Let me say, that's just sin. That's sin. And some people say, well, I'm just not a positive person. That's sin. It's just sin. See, you feel the Spirit. You see the glory of Christ. You see the forgiveness of sins. You see the wonder of your adoption through the blood of Jesus. And then you worship. And as you worship, you're thankful. See, there's, there's a progression here. Don't, so I, I just sometimes, and I, we all struggle with this. Sometimes you're just down, and that's okay. But I mean, as a rule of your daily or existence, thankfulness. Spirit-filled, worship, being thankful. And then the last is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, you walk, we walk with one another. We learn from one another. We observe and we delight in one another. There's all these one another things. God has called you into fellowship with himself and God's people. God is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is glorious in community. You were made for community. So the purpose of the sermon is to teach the word, but for you to say, step back and say, I need community. I need to be in a small group, a men's group, a women's group. I need community with people who will pray for me and walk with me and encourage me and at times challenge me and correct me because God has called me into fellowship with himself and with other people. So now with that, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 9. A well-known passage. Talk back. Listen to the scripture. This is Matthew 9 verse 1. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Stop. Because only God can forgive sins. And they were right. If Jesus wasn't God, this was blasphemy. Pick the narrative up, verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Three points. Number one, community must be reciprocal. By that I mean give and take, reciprocal. The reciprocity of community. A community must be reciprocal. These are four men, a paralyzed friend, and they've seen their friend paralyzed. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed for a while. And, and so they're, 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 they have compelling friendship. They're concerned about their friend. And so they hear these rumors, these words about a teacher who can heal people, a teacher who can heal people, and he's, he's, he's in your area. And so they get their friend, and they go in the presence of Christ. In Mark chapter 2, they, you know, they take the tile off a uh, roof and they lay it down. This is a, 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 a more truncated version. So that they take him into the presence of Jesus. These compelling, this compelling friendship, four men and a friend. But what I want, to, I want you to see here, there, there must be a reciprocal nature of friendship. You are going to sometimes need to be carried. And at times you're going to need to carry someone else. Don't believe that everybody who says they're doing great is doing great. If somebody says this, every day I'm getting better and better in every way, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Nobody here has it together. Nobody here is above sin. Nobody here doesn't have something over which they are very shameful. And so there, there are times when, when, when you're going to need somebody to carry you, friends to carry you, but there are going to be times when you need to carry other people. So you be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand in the day of evil and so that you can bless other people. Man to man, I say, who are your two o'clock in the morning Waffle House friends? You know, Waffle House is open 24-7, 365. Who do you call when your world crashes and it's two o'clock in the morning? See, we, we need these people. God has called us to community. I, I read this verse frequently, but it's Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is about staying strong in faith. The question is, how do we stay strong in faith? Here's one answer. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Okay, plural. Take care, brothers, that lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Well, how do we do that? Listen. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, how do you not fall away? You have people in your life who exhort you and talk about Jesus and glory the forgiveness of sin. And they carry you into his presence in prayer or maybe really literally. You need that. If you don't have that, you're done to a degree. The Christian faith is not a single man sport. 
I sometimes have fun with people, and I don't mean this seriously, but I, I really prefer to hang out with people who play team sports instead of golfers and tennis players. Because team sport guys realize you need other people. I mean, a golfer can say, I just need my caddy to carry my, 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 my clubs. But if you play any team sport, you say, you know, I need teammates. You need teammates. You need people who are going to walk with you, and it's a reciprocal relationship. And I'll tell you a story. And this is a fascinating story. A couple of years ago, I read, a book, I, read a, I read a book called Endurance. It's about a guy named Sir Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton. I'll tell you about him real quick. He died at the age of 47 of a heart attack, getting ready to do his fourth exploration of the South Pole. But let me, let me just lead up to this. This is a wild story. Ernie Shackleton went on his first expedition to the South Pole, uh, did okay. He led the second expedition. They came within 112 miles of the center of the South Pole. This is in the 1800s. No one had ever been there. So he, he got back and the King of England knighted him. He got a ticker tape parade. He was the man. But um, later he was um, a guy named Amundsen, a sweet made it to the, to, the, to the middle, got to the South Pole first. So he, he got the trophy. So Sir Ernest Shackleton wanted to go across the whole South Pole, the whole South Pole, all the way across. And some of the guys he recruited to go with him were on the second expedition, and they hadn't been paid yet. But they wanted to do it with Sir, Sir Ernest Shackleton. They were a hardy group of guys. I just want to go do their agenda with you and just say, these were men. Just, okay, let me say that from the get-go. So this is what happened. They, they, they get on a boat. They go to the south, down the South Pole, and, and then they go into the icy morass. And from December of 1914, 1914 until October of 1915, what's that, 11 months, they're on board the boat, the ship. Trying to, they think they're thinking they can make some headway up the ice flows, but they don't. And so the ice comes in and it starts expanding and the boat starts cracking. And so eventually he orders everyone off the boat and the boat just is shattered. The boat becomes nothing more than matchsticks because of the ice. And so they camp, and listen, they camp out on a, on a, on a floating iceberg type thing for four months. I mean, think about that. And, and so they survived on seal blubber and seaweed. What's for breakfast? Uh, seal blubber. What's for lunch? Seaweed. What's for supper? Seal blubber and seaweed every day. It was a set menu. Yeah, it so, so they're there, and, and finally the ice breaks up, and, and they, 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 they pull out some of the boats, and they, they go... 800 miles to the nearest inhabited island. They're gone for 500 days from getting on the boat to setting feet on real land. 500 days. A group of men. So I wear this Fitbit. When I hit 20,000 steps, I think, I'm the man. I went to Barnes & Noble today. I mean, these guys... These guys. But what's interesting, there was a man named Frank Wilde, who was the number two in command under Shackleton. And he called himself Shackleton's right-hand man. So on the fourth voyage, Shackleton's 44, he goes down there, he dies of a heart attack. 
They, 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 they bury him, they scatter his ashes in that area because that's the area he loved. 12 years, 13 years later, Frank Wilde dies. And it's during World War II, and he goes, I want to be buried next to Sir Ernest Shackleton. Tells his wife and his kids. So years after the war, they take his ashes down there and they spread it out. So th these guys walked with each other through hardships. I mean, think about it. You live through all that. They walk with each other. So this, this is a picture of Ernest Shackleton. Now the other guy, I'm going to tell you about the other guy. The other guy was, is a British commando. Uh, fought in several wars. A hardy man. Uh, his name is Henry Worsley. Henry Worsley's his, his, his hero was Ernest Shackleton. Okay, That's his hero right there. And so he did some expeditions around Antarctica, and he decided to try to be the first man to go across the South Pole alone. And there's a book that's been written about it. Let me read you a couple things from the book. It says this. He's a 55-year-old man. He's a highly decorated veteran. Uh, he, he leaves home in 2015 intending to trek more than 1,000 miles across the Antarctic continent, coast to coast, as his hero Shackleton had intended to do until he had to abandon his ship. Listen to this sentence. But Shackleton was one of a team. See, he's a team. Nobody had attempted this feat alone and unsupported. When Worsley set off, uh, his sled weighed 325 pounds. Before he went, Prince William had invited him over to London's Kensington Palace to give him a signed Union Jack just as his grandfather, King George V, had given to Shackleton. I, I'll just say, I think it would be fun to go to Kensington Palace and hang out with, with Prince William, but I really would like to have tea with Kate. That would be my, my thing, yeah. It says this, weather was against him. Everything went against him. His diary shrank to a litany of suffering and lamentations for what might have been. He almost made it, but pressed the button on his phone to be airlifted out, which was called by this author, the most expensive taxi ride in the history of mankind, close quote. He couldn't walk, unaided up the steps to a small plane, but he had trekked for 71 days and covered 800 nautical miles, which is like 225 miles, or 825 miles. He had also contracted bacteria, peritonitis, an infection of the thin tissue that lines the inner wall of the abdomen. A few days later, he died in a hospital in Puta Arenas, Chile. I read that and I thought, that's what I'm trying to say today. Shackleton was a team. He's part of a team. His right-hand man that he was best friends with, Frank Wilde. This guy did it alone. You try to go on your own in the Christian faith without the body of Christ, without friendship, without encouragement. It's going to be tough sledding, no pun intended. It's, it's hard because God has made us for community. Therefore, community must be reciprocal. Number two, the greatest need, the greatest need we have is to understand the forgiveness of sins. You go to the text. So this guy's paralyzed. They bring him before Jesus. Obviously, the plan was heal him, teacher. Jesus looks at him. What does he say? My son, your sins are forgiven. I go, what's this about? And as he says that, the scribes and the Pharisees who knew the law said, you're blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, exactly. exactly. So that's why the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a term of 
underscoring the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. He uses it 70 times in the Gospels. It comes out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it says, the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days, eternal God. So Jesus is saying, I am Messiah King. I am God in the flesh. I can forgive sin. So he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Then they had this theological dialogue. But I read that and I go, the greatest need I have is the forgiveness of sin. I, I, I believe in healing. I believe God heals people today. We, we just prayed for a dear woman that God would heal her of her disease. We laid hands on her. The elders didn't pray for her. I believe God heals people today. I think we sometimes don't see it happen because we're not really trusting God at times. God, I am fasting and praying that you would heal someone physically or you would heal someone spiritually who's just on the skids and going nowhere. I plead, God, that they would get the gospel. Heal them physically. Heal them. Heal, God, heal broken marriages. Heal parents that are at odds with kids. You didn't die on the cross so that we could be bitter, unforgiving people. Heal me. But, but the greatest need that we have is the forgiveness of sins. That's why I give them that text. New City Catechism, I'll give you two things today. Question number one says this. Oh, what is your only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own. But we belong, both body and soul, to our God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest need I have is to understand my sins are forgiven. That's what I see here. The third thing I see is this. These men, these five men, had this burning conviction. And they had limited knowledge. They had that much knowledge. That much knowledge. Just, just. They had the burning conviction that if somehow we could get our friend in the presence of this man named Jesus... Good things happen. And I, I, I had that conviction. That, that if we can get ourselves in the presence of Jesus and live unto him, then there is health and flourishing and hope because he's the God of hope. As a friend, as a friend, as a father, as a, as a son, as a husband, I, my greatest, as a granddad, granddad, please God, my greatest desire is that my loved ones and my friends and you guys get in the presence of Jesus. You can go to seminars on relationships and communication, and they're good, but it all flows from who Christ is. Remember Ephesians 5? You're filled with the Spirit, you're worship, you're thankful, you have community. See, if you just want community or just want marriage, but spirit-filled worship, thanksgiving community. And this community is centered around the glory of the Son of Man, whose name is Christ. I desperately want me, you, to get in the presence of Jesus. So we have full knowledge. He's eternal God. He's not just a good teacher that can perform miracles. He's God. He is the Son of Man. That's why the second question in the larger catechism says, says this. It says, well, you know, who is God? God, listen, this is so good. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. 
He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, his goodness and his glory, his wisdom, his justice, and his, uh, and what's the last word? Truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. I go, man, that is the God we serve. That's, that's the God that we walk before. And that, that's why this community must be a community of a certain type. You can take that off. I can't. My finger's not working up here. Boom. Okay, good. So one thing, I want to get in the presence of Christ. Now, as I look at this text, let me give you three communities that are here. Three communities. And these communities are reflected in our lives. In our, in our city, in our, on our college campuses. Community number one are the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees push back because this teacher claims to forgive sin, therefore he claims to be God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the fathers. Man, they, they said, no way. So they push back because Christ upsets the apple cart, which is an old colloquialism from the 1720s. Upsets the apple cart. See, Jesus upsets the apple cart. If Jesus isn't upsetting my apple cart and causing me to be repentant, I'm not reading the Bible. So, so, so but what people do is they, they, they push back. They push back against Jesus because Jesus asks them to do things they don't want to do. You know, and I know people who have walked away from considering Christ because, not because they've done an exhaustive study of the historical nature of the resurrection of Jesus, and they've gone to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, if you don't believe me, ask 500 men, most of whom are still alive, who saw the resurrected Jesus. They they haven't come away saying that those men were liars, and the apostles who went to their death screaming, he is risen from the dead, they're all liar, 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 liar. Don't, the historicity of the gospel of Jesus just doesn't work. No. They said this, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. And when you come to faith in Jesus, he tells you what to do. <laughs> Listen, if, if, you're, if, that's not the, if that's not the way you're walking today, saying, Lord, have your way in my life, you're not really following Christ. See, Jesus upsets the apple cart. There's a great book called Harvest Urban Leader. I think I've read this before. It's just a, it's a guy named C. John Miller who taught at Westminster in Philadelphia. He's just a wonderful man. He said this. He said, expect treasure and welcome repentance. Repentance means to turn from your ways to God's way. Expect treasure and welcome repentance in yourselves and others. Let Christ break down laziness and lust and pride and coldness and prejudices and despair. He has a great deal of experience cleansing his temple, that's us, and you can trust him to overturn tables in order to fill you with songs of gladness. Man, I love that. See, when the Bible says repent is always to bring purpose in our lives. See, but the Pharisees pushed back against that. They said, no, we're going to call the shots. You see, that's why we were talking about friendship. There's a quote in the worship guide from C.S. Lewis that says, what we don't realize is that friendship is ambivalent. Friendship can be good or bad. It says friendship makes bad men worse, some does, and good men better. There are some neo-Nazi racially motivated skinheads 
that meet together and encourage each other to do the goose step and Nazi salutes and make fun of minorities. And they, they leave jazzed about being a superior race, but that's far, far, far from the heart of God. I mean, that's, that's satanic. There are other people that get together and they boast about their economic prosperity and they, they belittle other people who are struggling. That's, that's, that, that's not from the heart. But, but there are other people who get together and they talk about being merciful and kind and gracious and glorying in Christ and they leave better. I, let me just, I'll tell you right this right now. So I came here this morning. I, I'm sitting here, right here, in the first service. I've had a long week. Uh, I'm tired. I don't think there's any raging sin in my life that I have, that, that, I mean, that's out of the norm. And uh, but I just thought, I am, I'm, I'm kind of down. I'm just, we're singing about grace and I'm singing, but I'm, and so I'm sitting there and I'm going, Lord, do something in me. And so I start, we start singing these hymns as Dustin leads us and as Dean leads us in the sanctuary and and then I, I, I kind of look around and see this person, that person, how they've encouraged me. And, 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 and I shake a hand with somebody, and we keep singing about grace. You know, by the time I, I, I'm energized, that's what happens, guys. When you're around people who love Jesus and who love the gospel, and you're a believer, they pull you up. And, and so that's... That's the, the joy of community. So that, that's one community. I kind of got ahead of myself. But number two, there's a community of people gathered around. It says, it says in, in Matthew 9, it says that, that the crowds were amazed or awestruck that God had given such authority to men, plural. That they were awestruck that this man was the healer. That, that this man did, they're just going, wow, this is really cool that God had given such authority to men, plural. So Jesus is just one among many. He's, 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 he's strong, but he's, he's not, he's just a man. You know, think of John 6 where the, lots of people were hanging around Christ. And he started talking about discipleship and hard stuff. And it says the vast majority just kind of slipped away. It says Jesus turned and he saw a small band of people and he says, what about you guys? And Peter stepped forward and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We believe that you're the Holy One sent from God. One of Peter's best moments. So there are a lot of people out there who say, what a great teacher. Man, he really showed us how to live. But they don't Commit to him as Savior and King. This guy, somebody I've, I've studied and I really like, Mahatma Gandhi, the, the father of India, a really a incredibly fine and gifted man. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi was assassinated, I think, in 1949, uh, 48, 49. Um, anyway, Gandhi was uh, a very gracious man, but he, he rejected the gospel. This is what he said. Gandhi said, I have never in my life read anything as beautiful and wonderful as the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 to 7. And I, I, I read that and I kind of, I, I, my heart breaks thinking, but he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. I'm fulfilling the law. So, so you can be an admirer of Jesus and say he's a great teacher, 
but never know him as Savior who shed his blood on the cross for your sin, the man who died in your place, the God-man, the Son of Man who died in your place. So, so please consider that. But then there's the third community, and this is where it gets kind of fun, the Gang of Five. And so you, I'm, I'm just... It's, a, it's, it's so wild to think about. They, they take the guy in and they, they, they put him in front of Jesus. I mean, there's a pack, packed house, packed group. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. And his buddies look at each other and go, that's not exactly what we were expecting to hear. We are expecting, hoping for something else. And then before Christ can say something else, there's a murmur and Jesus hears people and they say he's blaspheming and Jesus says well you're right only God can forgive sin I'm God and then he says which is easier to say to this man your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk well the obvious answer is if your sins are forgiven that's an internal work it doesn't really necessarily show but when you're healed of paralysis then it's very obvious and then Jesus says it's a Incredible statement. So that you'll know the Son of Man has authority to do this. I say to this man, take up your bed and walk. And the guy threw off his burlap bag or whatever, and he stood up, and he walked out of the room. And everybody's going, wow. And his friends go, wow. To say that, the British say they were gobsmacked. They were just Wow. And they go outside and they do the equivalent of high-fiving or chest-thumping, whatever they did in the first century. And, and they said, this is, this is incredible. Tell us about it. He said, well, he said, take up your bed and walk. And all of a sudden, I felt sensation in my feet and legs I haven't felt for years since I was paralyzed. And as I, I thought, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I felt strength come into my atrophied legs. And then... I felt the ability to stand up on my own, which I haven't done for years and years and years. And my legs felt strong, and he said, take up your bed. And I picked up this bed, and I walked out. It's unbelievable. And they're just, they're, they're embracing. They're probably crying. They're, he said, but, but let me tell you what else happened. He said, something happened before that. When he looked at me and said, your sins are forgiven, something happened inside of me. The shame was gone. The, 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 really the, the, the absolute despair over the man I had been. And you know what, guys, you know how I've lived. That despair was thrown away. I felt nothing but fresh hope and joy. And I was celebrating that. And then I heard these, the dialogue, and then I heard, take up your bed and walk. And I went, whoa. He said, I'm thankful for my physical healing. But let me tell you, something happened before that that absolutely astounded me. Despair was gone. Shame was gone. People, you, everybody here has shame in their lives. And despair, the blood of Christ wipes it out. Makes you whole and clean and pure. And it's just, the gospel is glorious. I was even thinking about, I've got to hurry. I was just thinking about, you know, illustrations that try to communicate the gospel always fall short because the cross is the epitome. But I thought, I thought really, for us to understand the gospel, it's like we're walking in a forest and we, there's a trap for bigger animals and it's 15 feet deep and you fall into the pit. 
And, 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 and when you fell, you broke both your legs and you shattered your shoulder and you broke your neck and you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in sin. You are dead. But the Lord of glory comes along and he goes down in the pit and he breathes life into our body and he heals us and he takes a strap and he ties us around his glorious body and he comes out of the pit. He breathes life and he gives life. He breathes life and he gives life. See, it's not like you're in the pit and you said, help. Or 911, help. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. You know that type of commercial? No, you're dead. You can't speak, you're dead. You're dead. Not somewhat dead, dead. And he breathes life in your body by the gospel. Do you know that gospel? That's, that's the glory of the Christian faith. So, so I, I read this book recently, just or this week. It talks about making changes. And I'm going to try to communicate that you may, this may miss you. But how, how the Christian life is, is glorious because it is full of energy and it is satisfying. It gives you a place to walk. It gives, you, it gives you a place for hope in a culture with no hope. In a culture where everybody's feet are firmly planted in midair, it gives you a foundation. So I'm, I'm reading this book and the thesis of, of, of the book is that habits, you change your habits when you realize that a new habit is desirable or satisfying and tells this story. And I thought it was a great story. So in, in, this is in the ninth, 1998, the city of Karachi is in Pakistan. Pakistan's right, right there. Karachi's in the bottom. I think Pakistan's population today is 180 million people. This is, Karachi is a city in 1998 It had 9 million people. So we think about Lottie Moon and giving to missions. So 9 million people in one city. Our state has 4.8 to 9 million. North Carolina has almost 6 million. So today, Karachi has more people in one city than North and South Carolina. Just think about that. Next time you're trapped in traffic on 17 or on the bridge, just remember it could be much worse, all right? So, so, so that's, this is in the city of Karachi that uh, in, in 1998 had 9 million people. It was the economic center of Pakistan, a transportation hub, uh, had some of the most active airports and seaports in the region. Over 60% of Karachi's residents lived in squatter settlements and some, 60%. These densely packed neighborhoods were filled with makeshift houses cobbled together from old boards and cinder blocks and discarded materials. And so contaminated water sources called epidemics of diarrhea, vomiting, and abdominal pains. Nearly one-third of the children living there were malnourished. With so many people crammed into such a small space, viruses and bacterial infections spread rapidly. And so the, 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 the nation of Pakistan went on a massive government teaching session of wash your hands. It'll, it'll stop the spread of a lot of disease. And so the people, but the people, there was old that had this lye soap that didn't smell good and didn't foam up. And so people would kind of wash or put one hand under or just kind of run their hands through and walk out. And um, th there's, an, uh, there's a guy in the West named Stephen Luby who did a study. And he, he said, Luby and his team realized that in an environment with poor sanitation, the simple habit of washing your hands can make a real difference. And, and so they, they called Procter & Gamble who makes Safeguard soap. I've asked, Safeguard soap is still around, right? It's still there. So is Irish Spring. Is it? Is Irish Spring still around? Okay, I don't buy soap, I just, my wife does, so I just kind of get whatever there. Or I take the soap from the hotel where we're staying and use that for a week or two or whatever. 
But anyway, so, so Safeguard Soap foams quickly and it smells good. So Procter & Gamble said, we'll give you all the soap you want to help out the, the, the people of Karachi. And so they introduced this massive campaign, use Safeguard Soap, we'll give you all you want. And so they started using Safeguard Soap and it foamed and it smelled good and the hands smelled good. So people started washing their hands. This is amazing. This is amazing. Listen. So within months, the researchers, the researchers saw a rapid shift in the health of the children in the neighborhoods. The rate of diarrhea fell by 52%. Pneumonia fell by 48%. And impetigo, a bacterial skin infection, by 35% because... They made washing your hands a pleasurable experience. Now, I, I, maybe this is a stretch, but I, I look at the Christian faith and I say, you know, Jesus in his glory is beautiful and gracious and he gives me a path to walk on and a foundation from which to exist and hope for this life and hope for eternity. And you know what? I'm buying into that. I'm, I'm, I'm there. And so these men had incredible faith in community and they had that much knowledge. We had this much knowledge. How much more should we buy into it? So very quickly, my time is gone. So I'm going to give you this in about three minutes. So just hang in there with me. Act like I'm Thor. If you have a problem with this. So, okay. Um, I like to talk about elevator statements. An elevator statement is you go, you're going from the ground floor, maybe to the seventh floor. Somebody asks you a question, you've got to answer it in 25 seconds or less. So you don't get, you don't get involved in the weeds. You just have to hit the high points. So I was thinking this week as I finish this up about being a person of intentionality. If somebody were to get on an elevator and you're on the elevator and, and, and they say, I, I saw you at Bible study, I saw you at church, I'm, I'm a new Christian, new believer in Jesus, have just come to faith. In your opinion, what should I be about if I'm to grow as a believer in Christ? So here's four things I'd say. Okay, number one, elevator's moving now. Glory in the greatness of Jesus. Now just, that's Reader's Digest. Let me give the Dostoevsky version just for one minute. Eternal God, in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins. He's the great lion of Judah. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is beautiful and glorious and compassionate. He is our elder brother. We're adopted into the family of God. J.I. Packer, my favorite writer who's still alive, says the whole New Testament can be summed up in three words, adoption through the blood of Jesus or adoption through propitiation. You make much of Christ. So I'm back in the elevator. You glory in Jesus. Glory in Jesus. Number two, think about Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you say to yourself, how can I do that today? How can I know this God who is glorious and good? The elevator's moving. Number three, understand the Great Commission that we're called to be people who talk about Christ in the nations and in the neighborhoods. God's called us into fellowship with him to speak the reality of Christ. And number four, we're almost at seven, four, we're just getting about six. Number four, go to church every week. And you go, okay, number four, really? Well, let me tell you why. I mean, that's an overstatement. I thrive on continuity. 
When I'm with people, and God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When I am with people who love Christ, and I see them, and I walk with them, and they pray for me. I say, if I go to church, I'm with people. I'm going to be involved in a community group probably, or a men's, men's group. I will be involved with people who hold me up in the Lord. Sometimes they'll carry me. Sometimes I'll carry them. But there's this reciprocity and friendship in, in the body of Christ. So I, I plead with you to find community. I can point to people right here, right here, and right here. Who've, who've been dear people to us in community. And they've blessed me. They've blessed us. They've blessed our children. And I need that. Listen, this is not a single person sport. It's a team sport. Go hard for Christ. We desperately need him. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this day and thank you for the privilege. I've just opened the Bible I just, and, and hearing from you. Thank you for being around brothers and sisters, old, young, young families, older families, uh, people that, that just are going for Christ and love Christ and love the things of the Lord and want to make him known to their neighbors and the nations. So thank you for that. And we pray this week that you'd help us to love our neighbors and pray for the nations so that Christ will be honored. Thank you for the goodness of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.